Wow. Here we are, 2020, and it is season four of the Please Bear With Me podcast. Welcome in to this season four, episode one edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. I am so thrilled to be back with you this season. My name is Scotty Swingler, and this podcast has been my passion project coming up on four years now, and that's that's a special, special thing. And right off the bat, I want to thank Bears Illustrated for making this worthwhile and con- worth continuing. I want to thank you for listening the past three seasons, and I hope you'll join us as we get season four underway. A little late on the gun, I know, but I promise there's good reason for it, and we're just happy to be back. And without too much delay, I'm going to take you straight into our season preview. Now, we recorded this almost three weeks ago now. We recorded this kind of the last week of August. The Bears Illustrated staff is who you're going to hear uh, on this edition of Please Bear With Me. So it's myself, it's Tim Watkins, it's Kevin Barrera, it's Terrence Ganaway, and it's Andrew Miner. And we got on Zoom a few weeks back and just talked through a bunch of the storylines that are really obvious coming into this season. We talked about Coach Dave Aranda. We talked about the roster and the depth chart coming into the season. We talked about the schedule. And so there's a few things, and I'm just going to tell you a couple of them up front, and you'll probably catch a couple of them as you listen. There's a few things that we discussed that have been since resolved or altered. So, for instance, we talked about offensive line depth. Of course, Burton coming in from UCLA now taking over as the starter at that right tackle spot as we prepare to get the season underway. That's a big deal. Um, If we had known that, that conversation might have looked a little different. There's been some movement on the defensive side of the ball since the guys and I recorded this podcast. There's been some things like uh, single-digit jerseys that have been handed out. I don't think any of those recipients of the single-digit jerseys are particularly surprising this year. I think it's all guys who are deserving. I'm probably most pumped about Gavin Holmes getting a single-digit jersey. Good on him. Hope that guy has a big breakout season. But for the most part, I think the following conversation is still completely pertinent, especially without the game against La Tech coming up this weekend. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. It's about an hour long, so I'm going to send you straight into that. After that conversation, I've got just a couple of thoughts for you. I want to talk about this podcast moving forward this season. And I want to close um, on a note of talking about Baylor fans as a community, this weird 2020 year we're in. And in particular, I want to give a little tribute to uh, our friend who passed away this week. So, hey, glad you're here. It's Please Bear With Me. We're back and we're better than ever. Here it comes, the mega preview for the 2020 season from the Bears Illustrated staff. Here it is. Enjoy. Man, this feels good, fellas. We're playing football. God willing, here we go. Let's go around the table and speak up for everybody who's here. So, uh, Tim, why don't you go first, and and let's just say your name and what you do. And we're all with Bears Illustrated, so that's pretty cool. We got the whole team here. Tim, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, Tim Watkins, uh, publisher of Bears Illustrated, ready to talk about football. We're three weeks in. Three weeks yesterday, we're going to be uh, kicking Louisiana Tech's butt. So uh, in front of a very small crowd, probably what some of us were used to at uh, the old haunting place, but haven't seen a crowd that small at a McLean yet. Kevin Barrera, uh, used to, uh, I guess I used to be Tim's better half, but uh, 
life got a little busy, so I had to step away. But, uh, you know, continue to follow football and Baylor, obviously. So I'm excited to talk about football. and glad that uh, we're a few weeks away from kickoff here. Andrew Miner, reporter for anything Baylor sports for 24-7, Bears Illustrated. I'm excited, guys. What's up? It's, it's Terrence. Uh, good to see everybody. Haven't seen people's faces in a while. Uh, I don't know what I am, but I, I, I work with these fine lads, uh, and we own a group thread. We talk about everything, uh, but uh, I'm probably uh, as excited, if not more excited, uh, as anyone in this group uh, to talk about Baylor football and to talk about the opportunity we have this year to play and, you know, the craziness of it. But, uh, man, football brings back great memories, and I, I hope we can have a memorable season. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for putting some time aside and being with us. This is fun. And it's, yeah, just like anybody listening to this podcast, man, like just to even just see y'all's faces on a screen and talk football is giving me so much energy and joy right now. I'm so pumped. Hey, earlier today, I, I kind of sent y'all a brief agenda. Before we talk about COVID and the season, I just want to recap really quickly kind of the Aranda hire and, and how that all went down and how you guys are feeling about how that coaching staff has come together and what it looks like so far. Um, I knew probably about three or four days before it was announced, I had a couple people text me, it's going to be Aranda or McGuire. I kind of feel like we got the best of both worlds, keeping McGuire on staff. Uh, that immediately made me like Aranda and everything he's done since I've enjoyed. But hey, Andrew, let's start with you this time uh, and then anybody else after that. Impressions of Dave Aranda, thoughts about him coming into the program and taking over what Matt Rule built over the past three seasons. Uh, as far as the coaching perspective goes, it's, it's another step up for Baylor, who, who would have thought we'd be in this position uh, just a few short years ago. But um, from people I've spoken to from the LSU site, um, to all the way to the Baylor folks, Shahan at, at Dave Campbell's, uh, they've all classified Dave Miranda as a, as a gritty defensive group guru. Um, maybe not, you know, it's his first head coaching game, so he's not as comfortable in front of the mic or not used to that yet, but I think that's only going to get better in time and not something anybody should really focus on or worry about. And I think he's put a great staff together uh, to help him on the offensive side since he's so uh, – so tough and, and, and expertise on the defensive side. So I think, I think Baylor's going to see a lot of uh, great things on both sides of the ball. And, and um, with some of the assistant coaches, offensive coordinators, I think uh, Baylor fans should be excited to see uh, Charlie Brewer and company really open it up. Yeah, I agree, uh, Andrew. I think uh, he's, he's definitely not as uh, like silver tongue as Matt Rule. But uh, I think he has a very good defensive mind and a defensive pre uh, presence. Uh, I think he's stingy. He wants to get takeaways like Mike, Matt Rule. Uh, and he also wants to dominate the game in the front line, uh, in the line of scrimmage with a good defensive line. It'll be interesting how he backfill all the talent we lost in the front seven last year. Uh, I think this is definitely going to be a rebuilding year for him. But I think the blueprint of what he wants to do will be established this year, and then it's about plugging and playing and getting people in, in positions to succeed early on. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think he's a great hire, um, and I think being able to bring in Fedora on the offensive side is going to help our, our team out uh, a ton. Um, I know we had some great runs uh, with our last offensive coordinator, 
But with this one, I think it's going to be a little bit more consistent of what we see. I think we'll be able to see rhythms uh, flow throughout the game more often as well. Uh, and, and by the sound of it, I think him and Charlie Brewer are really gelling and meshing together, which is only going to help that offense elevate. Yeah, those are great points. And I think the, the two things that impressed me the most about Coach Aranda are he's very cerebral and he's very self-aware. I think we saw that uh, to to Scotty's point of keeping Joy McGuire on staff. That's something that a very self-aware and self-confident coach would do. He knows that Joy McGuire owns that locker room when he steps foot in. He's the interim coach. He's the other guy that Baylor could have hired. That takes a very self-confident man to say, I want him because he can help me succeed and earn and, and build the trust of this locker room right away. We also saw that with the two coordinator hires, two, pl- uh, two coaches that had head coaching experience, the one thing that uh, Dave Aranda really lacks with Ron Roberts, his mentor, um, and the person that hired him to be the first defensive coordinator role that he had, and then Larry Fedora, somebody that had a lot of success, especially early on in his career at North Carolina. So so very cerebral, very quiet confidence. Every time you hear him talk, he, he I wish I thought about what I was going to say as much as he did. Because he's really just wants to say everything perfectly, understands what he says, very self-confident, and just a quiet confidence under everything that he does. Yeah, I'll piggy, piggyback off of what Tim said. Um, I think one of the – I was excited when he got hired. Um, but I think one of the things that I was skeptical skept, skeptical about at first was, you know, who is he going to hire? You know, who does, who does he know? Especially on the offensive side of the ball because – you know, we had a defensive uh, coaching staff with Matt Rule before he left and then coming in and bringing a, another defensive-minded coach. You're always curious about what they're going to do on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, bringing in someone like Fedora who has head coaching experience coordinates, um, you know, he's been on both, on both sides of it. And, you know, bringing in a guy like that to kind of set the foundation – you know, because obviously I think Fedora wants to be a head coach again. So, you know, we don't know how long we'll have him, but it'll at least set that foundation for the future. Um, you know, hopefully he can, you know, teach Munoz a couple of things and have him take over. But I was excited when he, when he hired Fedora and then, you know, obviously putting all the pieces together for his coaching staff just makes me feel that much better about the hire and, and what, what he's going to do here. Yeah, you guys made all the all the points I would have made as well. I think every piece of the staff was clutch. I mean, there was not one staff hire inside the whole process where I was uh, disappointed, right, or, or thought, I don't know. Uh, and the Fedora hire does it for me. I mean, that was the moment I was like, okay, we're, we're going to keep this thing moving. Uh, think about the year that Rule was hired. There was a contingent of Baylor fans that wanted to hire Fedora as our head coach. I mean, so you've got three guys in the building who have been head coach material for Baylor, you know, at some point. And I, I think keeping not just McGuire, uh, but Bell and Wetzel as well, it has really helped keep the team together and helped the recruiting move along. And, uh, man, I can't say enough good things about who he's hired and who he's brought in. It's not often you hire a national championship coach right off a national championship uh, to come be part of your program. So I'm fired up. I think he's going to do great. I like that we stuck with the defensive thing. I think what Rule built uh, was so contrary to what people just think of when they think of the Big 12. And let's be honest, I think we'd agree that Jeff Nixon was the – was the biggest question mark the past few years, right? 
Anyway, I like bringing in the defensive coach. I like that we got the offense is definitely going to have an upgrade. Speaking of uh, being able to keep those Texas high school guys on staff and and keep some of that continuity, from what I've seen, and maybe Tim or Andrew can speak more on this because you follow it closer than I do, uh, it looks like recruiting has not taken any sort of step back, and if anything, has taken a step forward. Oh, it's absolutely taken a step forward. I think both the top end quality of what we're getting and what we're seeing from who we're going after as four and even five star recruits, specifically in the 2022 class. Um, Dave Aranda has built a program that has a significantly uh, more strong focus on the recruiting side from off-field resources uh, to on-field coaches that have been brought in to really hammer recruiting. We're seeing that uh, with, with, with Juice Johnson in the Houston area. We're seeing that uh, with Dennis Johnson, Meatball uh, in Louisiana. We're seeing that continued with Joey McGuire in the DFW area. You know, there's a lot of recruiting talent, a lot more of a focus to say, hey, this is the guy that we want. This is who we want to go get. Um, Ryan Langell, uh, the newest offensive tackle commitment, really the first offensive tackle commitment we've seen in the last two classes. We beat Texas heads up for him. Texas can say a lot of the times, that's somebody that we backed off. He was a backup source. And it's true when it comes to safety, Devin Lanier. Uh, he was a guy that was a little bit farther down the list, even though he had a Texas offer. Ryan Langell was a guy that Texas wanted, and they battled for him till the minute he committed to, to Baylor. And they're still going to be battling for him. But quite honestly, I don't think they're going to get them. Dave Aranda and his staff have prioritized recruiting relationships. They've prioritized the resources off the field. We see that all over the recruiting hires and off the field uh, 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 hires that they have made. This is a staff that wants to bring a top 15 or even a top 10 class to Baylor University, and I don't think that's something that Matt Rule really designed his staff to do. Let's talk about the bear in the room, if you will. I took a poll this past week. I ran it for five days. 236 people voted, and I asked, how many games are we going to get through this season? How many games will Baylor play? I was surprised that 51% of everybody who responded thought we'd get to the full 10 games on the schedule. Uh, 26% said 5 through 9, 17, 1 through 4, 6% said 0. I am praying we get through a 10-game schedule, and yet... In this year, with the way everything else has gone, I, I don't know if that's realistic. Have you guys thought a lot about this? And, and I mean, what do you think happens? One Big 12 team has a breakout. I, like, you know, is there anybody amongst us who wants to take a stab at how many games Baylor actually gets to play this season? I mean, it's, it's going to be extremely tough, man. Um, I would say that we're going to get halfway through the season. Uh, I, I would I would guarantee that we play four games, uh, and it, it all depends on uh, how numbers are read during flu season, because I know flu season comes November, and with the schedule being kicked off later than usual, uh, I think a lot of these um, uh, tests, even the NBA, the NFL had a, uh, some false positives with Chicago's camp uh, this past weekend. And um, it is, it's going to put a damper into, like, what we hope um, um, would happen. And then they're doing a lot of precautionary stuff. And so if a couple of guys get tested positive, whether it's false positive or not, not, 
it's going to put a damper on if we're going to practice that week, who's all practicing. We're going to go on a, a mini lockdown. And I think, you know, a few times when you have that, uh, it just starts to trickle down and then, you know, someone makes an executive decision to just to halt it. I don't think Baylor or any school in particular would be like, hey, this is just too much. I think we have the resources. I think we have everything in place. Um, football is just di a different animal because there's so many guys. Uh, with basketball, I think that we'll have a basketball season and probably a full basketball season. But um, football is a, a much more difficult animal because it's hard to control 110 guys, coaches, and, and all the staff. Uh, but I think we'll get to four games at least. I think the flex point is really going to be very early in the year. And it, it's going to depend on how college students as a whole act. Because if they're going crazy, if they're going out to Fountain Mall, if they're doing all the bad things, we're going to see an explosion in cases. We're going to see what North Carolina did, go 100% virtual. And at that point, the balance of a student athlete and a pretty much semi-professional athlete, wherever you fall on that weight, it's going to be tipped over into not a student athlete. And then as educators, as a private university, can we make the case to say, all right, everybody that's not playing football needs to get out of here. Only the football players stay home. So I would say give me until mid-September, late September to understand what the numbers are saying. And I'll be able to say it's going to be four games or it's going to be all 10. Because if the university students, if college students take care of themselves and do the right things. And that's a lot of pressure on a bunch of 18 to 20 year olds. I know we're putting a lot of eggs in that basket and I don't trust those hands, but if they do the right things, we could absolutely play 10 games, but that's a pretty big if. I'll be the optimistic one. Um, I think we'll get through at least eight games, um, maybe 10. I, You've you've seen what at least what Baylor's doing with their with their athletes, um, and it's all going to come down to how how do you keep them. I mean, obviously, you're not going to keep them away from the other students. Um, you can't keep them in a bubble like the NBA is. But I think you can. I think they have some leverage on these kids to say, look, if you go if you guys go out and party, if you guys are going out and just being reckless, not you know following precautions, then you're going to take the chance of not being able to play. You might miss two or three games or you're going to cause the rest of us to not be able to play either. And I think at least for student athletes, that's, you know, they want to play. They don't want to sit at home. So, so I think if you pro you know, a lot of them will, will say, okay, you know, we're going to chill on going out on the weekend, things like that. I'm also the kind of the belief that obviously, I mean, if you can somehow, control the cases at college. I mean, cause like Tim said, he wants to see till the, till the end of September. Well, the good thing is we have a game in the middle of September and another one at the end of September. If you can get, obviously the, the spike's going to happen. There's going to be an inevitable spike on a college campus. Um, I think if you can get through that spike through the beginning of September, um, maybe the first couple of weeks of September and hit the backslide as you're getting into that first game, you're not going to have to really worry about it to throughout the rest of the season. Now, then the other thing comes up is, you know, like you mentioned, Scotty, if you have another team in the conference that has 
you know, a small breakout or something, you know, how does that affect the game? Um, I know that Big 12 didn't factor in any bye weeks, but I don't know if they have any any ability to maybe throw in a bye week there um, to give the, the team that might have a breakout at least a, you know, seven or 10 day window where they can kind of get some of those kids back, you know, you know, symptom free, things like that. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's going to be hard obviously, but I think what we've seen from Baylor is they've been able to kind of control obviously with their numbers. We don't know if it's football or not, but you know, we haven't really heard even throughout the whole athletic department about them having huge numbers. Um, so that's, that's positive, but you know, it'll all change once everybody's on campus. So I'm, it'll just depend on what kind of what Tim said, what the students do and how crazy they get. So, but I'm optimistic. I think we'll play at least eight games. When the big 10 and the PAC 12 canceled or postponed their football seasons and all fall sports, uh, I've always, and I told you guys this, I've always been kind of feeling like there was a sense of we're waiting for the other shoe to drop where just everything gets terminated um, indefinitely. Uh, obviously that's not the case. We're still going forward and that's at the end of the day, the ideal outcome that we all want. Where I fall now, I think that would have happened if, if the Big 12, SEC, ACC were to cancel football. Um, it would, you know, immediately in the aftermath, it would have happened sooner than where we are now. So it gives me a, the impression that we're going to start this season um, and we're going to go go for it. And just with the case, the small case studies that we have from the NBA, NHL, MLB, is that you know they're they've been able to navigate and monitor the virus. Um, doesn't mean I don't think an outbreak could happen where we postpone a couple weeks, uh, you know, a week or two in the middle of the season. So I think we're going to get maybe eight, eight to nine games as long as we can get like uh, I said, you know, through that first first kind of get over the hump uh, where this is now our new normal and we're just going to play through it. Uh, but I could see an outbreak. Uh, you know, with a team that causes a, a delay this season. Great. I have no additional commentary on COVID-19. I don't want to talk about it. So thanks for doing it for me. That's why I really brought you here today. So let's talk 2020 football, baby. I think just really quickly, let me look at this. You know, you look at Baylor's offense. Uh, you lose two leaders like Denzel Mims and Jamichael Hasty, but you bring a lot of those playmakers back. You bring your quarterback back, hopefully healthy. Let's cross our fingers. Uh, new scheme that hopefully will utilize some some gifts a little bit better than the previous one. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, and you love your coaches. You know it's going to work, and we don't know hardly anything about a lot of these guys that we're going to be leaning on this season. So let's talk about personnel. Let's talk about the depth chart. Uh, anything you heard from Aranda during his press conference after the scrimmage or anything you've seen on the depth chart player-wise? What are some points of interest for you? Who are you looking at? Who needs to step up? What are you guys looking at when it comes to personnel? I'll jump in because I, I think the losses on defense, while they were substantial, they are being a little bit overblown. And the reason for that is we do have starters coming back, not only with Terrell Bernard and Raleigh Tejada from last year being primary starters, but Christian Morgan has started a handful of games at safety. JT Wood started five games last year when Chris Miller was in and out of the lineup due to injuries, and also Graylon Arnold in and out of the lineup due to injuries. Chris uh, Miller also uh, suspended for uh, 
targeting as well. Um, Jalen Pitchery is a guy that started eight games throughout his first two seasons. You're also looking at the defensive line where all three of those guys played a substantial amount of snaps with Gabe Hall, Chidi Obinaya, and uh, TJ Franklin. They all got a lot of run last year. The linebacker, you got Bernard, you got Williams Bradley King, who's a proven starter, you got Dylan Doyle, who's played a lot of snaps. You've got a lot of pieces, especially on the first unit, that are very experienced. It's the second unit that it falls off a cliff in terms of experience. That's the only concern that I have. I think if you could tell me that the first unit stays healthy, stays on the field, plays a large amount of snaps, I think the defense is going to be pretty good. Is it going to be top 10, top 15 good like last year? Absolutely not. But if we run into injuries on the defensive line, if we start having problems in the cornerback position, if we lose a couple of safeties, then you're going to be relying on a lot of players that don't have a lot of experience. And that's where the question of depth comes into play. That's going to take some time to build because a lot of those second string and third stringers, they haven't done it before. And we haven't seen them do it on the actual, on Saturdays at least. I'm going to go exact opposite. This defense is going to be hurting next year. And if we think about it, every league, Pop Warner all the way to the NFL, if you're talking about dominating games like we did last year, you dominate the line of scrimmage. We dominated the line of scrimmage in every single game last year except two. We didn't dominate the line of scrimmage uh, against uh, Oklahoma in the second half. And we didn't dominate the uh, line of scrimmage against um, Georgia. But in the, the, the Big 12 game, we had enough plays. We just had a lot of people injured. A lot of people – we just – we didn't have – we wasn't at full staff. But when you talk about Bravion Roy, James uh, Lynch, and Lockhart, you are not by any means going to replace them very easily. You're going to have to – one second. Sorry about that. I have a four-year-old wrestling with a one-year-old. But you're not going to replace that. We were able to do a lot of things on defense last year because we didn't have to put our defense in vulnerable situations, meaning bringing blitzes with five, six guys. We could do a three-down lineman rush with a, with a linebacker or a corner blitzing, and we were getting home on the blitzes, and we were dropping seven people in coverage. When you can do that, you got a great defense. We're not going to be able to do that. Regardless of what kind of burn time the, the guys got in last year, our, it's going to be an issue because we have three guys dominating the line of scrimmage every time they were in. No matter who we played, no matter what line of scrimmages we went up against big, in Big 12 play last year, they held it down. They were getting home with three-down linemen, you know, stunts. I don't believe we can do that last uh, this year. I haven't seen what the new front line can do, but um, Tim, I think you're you're mistaken if you think we got a, a pretty good defense this year. I'm all for you proving me wrong, but I I don't think it's going to be close. I think people's going to run the ball on us a lot, which is going to make us put more people in the box, and that's going to make us vulnerable on the back end. They're going to pass the ball, and then we're going to get people out of the box, and then when we have three guys like we did last year. It's, it's never going to be easy replacing those guys. They all are playing in the NFL right now. Yeah, senior day last year, just hearing name after name on the defensive end uh, be announced, that was 
that was a tough realization for the next year coming in. Uh, so I definitely think it's going to be hard to replace a lot of those guys on the defensive side. But Tim, to your point, you know, maybe there's two listed returning starters, but a lot of guys had uh, experience. So I think, you know, I think they can get there, uh, you know, throughout the season and play up. But last year, 2019, we were in and we, Baylor won ball games every single week because our defense kept us in the game week in, week out. So the answer, the, the solution for 2020 is it's going to be flipped. Charlie Brewer and the offense are going to have to carry the Bears week in, week out this year to account for some of those uh, departures on the defensive side, right? Uh, last year, you know, Charlie Brewer went 3,100 yards, 21 TDs, seven picks, and he had eight comebacks. So, you know, Baylor had eight comebacks last year uh, in an incredible season, right? Ten and three, three losses to uh, With Larry Fedora coming in as the offensive coordinator, uh, more of a late Travis high school uh, offensive scheme, you know, Baylor's going to have to open it up. I think that plays, not only that, but it, it plays to the Baylor's advantage uh, because of a shortened season, because of this pandemic that we're dealing with. A lot of teams, including Baylor, are going to be relatively maybe not as conditioned as other years, right? And I think that's going to affect the defense more than it will the, uh, the offense, especially in the Big 12. That, uh, that's known for its dynamic uh, offenses. So uh, I think going into this year, it's got to be the offense that carries uh, the Bears uh, week in, week out. Yeah, I agree with Andrew. Um, I'm anxious to see, one, if Charlie Brewer is completely healthy, um, which I, I he should be, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think the offense is going to be – is going to have to probably carry this um, – carry the team uh, throughout the season. I also agree on the conditioning thing. Um, I think we're going to see that big time in the first game, of course, but I th- obviously as the season goes on, they'll get more and more conditioned, but that those first probably three or four games are, are probably going to be telling as far as conditioning is concerned. I think, um, you know, we do have experience on the defensive side. Um, like Terrence, I am worried about the defensive tackle position. Um, obviously there's talent there. We all know about those kids that are that are at that position, but you know they're still relatively young. Um, they do have some games under their belt, but you know, replacing Bravey on Roy is, I mean, it's impossible. But if they can at least make up some of his reduction and um, you know keep some keep some weight off the back end, that'll help. But yeah, I think it, it's going to be about the offense this season, and you know, I think having someone like Fedora, who's been a head coach and a coordinator. Um, is going to be big time for for Brewer, and he obviously has all of the weapons on the offensive side. So, if he's healthy and you know he's not relied on to run as much anymore, um, I think he's going to be very successful. Um, and I think the the Bears can be be a pretty good team, but you know they're going to have to carry the defense uh, most of the time. I think. Talking to my sources, it's it's clear that Charlie Brewer is healthy right now. That's not the question. In fact, he's got a stronger arm. Um, he's looking great in practice right now, delivering the ball. Really, what 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 I want Baylor fans to envision right now, Charlie Brewer looks like, is a five to fifteen percent better version of what we saw against Oklahoma State, and that's really really exciting. That's really really exciting because we saw his arm really push the ball down the field very well, especially as Josh Fleeks on those long uh, deep crossing patterns. Loved seeing that. The question with Charlie is can we keep him healthy? 
That's the only question that matters right now. He's fine. He's good. That wasn't a concussion during uh, the Sugar Bowl. That was a neck strain. That's what the doctors say. That's what he says. I know all the internet fans want to say he's had like 12 concussions. He says he's had three. We can take that for whatever that means. He's healthy right now. The question is, can we keep him healthy? And the offensive line is the biggest piece of that. Simply put, I think everybody would agree here, the offensive line has not been good enough the last three seasons. According to guys that I talked to, um, this is the best starting five that they felt that they've had in the past three years. They feel really good about the top seven or eight guys. After that, though, there's some questions. It falls off a little bit of a cliff there after after you get to Casey Phillips, after you get to Giancarlo Valentin. After you get to those guys, you're talking about a lot of guys that have no experience and are very, very untested. So right now, the question is, who are going to be the best five? Is that Mose Jeffrey? Is that Khalil Keith at tackle? Is Casey Phillips losing out on the right tackle position to Blake Bedier and shifting inside to right guard? You know, Xavier Newman uh, Johnson is really going to be the center. Um what happens if one of those guys falls? What happens if something happens? That second string is really the concern right now for the Baylor staff. And, and Coach Aranda talked about that, saying, you know, the cohesiveness of the top guys is the best that he's been told that they've seen over the last few years, but they still have a lot of question marks. And a lot of Baylor fans are like, well, how do those two match? Well, we feel good about the top five to eight guys. After that, we don't feel really good about the rest. That's why Baylor's been looking for some graduate transfers, and they're still looking. Um, every day that gets a little bit more difficult because you got to get them enrolled, you got to get them up to speed, you got to get them ready for football in the Baylor scheme. It's going to be difficult to get any grad transfer in here at this point, um, but you have to hope that some of the freshmen, the redshirt freshmen, some of the younger guys can take step up into that role and build out that second string offensive line. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch just about everything. Or just about everything y'all said. For one thing, Ganaway is spot on, dude. And and I I appreciate the optimism, Tim, about the guys. And I think in the secondary, you're right. I think all the guys that are that are getting uh, starting in the secondary, and even a guy like Mark Milton, who who has not gotten as much time, those are all really talented dudes that will play well. But I do not think it is in any way controversial to say that last year's defensive line is the best group the best singular defensive line Baylor has ever had you know I'm not going to say any one of them is the best defensive lineman Baylor's ever had although James Lynch might have an argument for that but I think that is definitely the best unit Baylor's ever had on a defensive line as good as those three guys that are stepping in are and I think they're all very good players they are not that good and they are not that. And if they are going to be that good, it will not be this season. So I completely agree with Terrence on that one. I want to talk about the offensive line, and I, that's where I was going, Tim. And you beat me to it. I texted some of my buddies uh, maybe yesterday, and I said, "Hey guys, I'm looking at this depth chart. This is the most talented offensive line we've had since Bryles." And I got some flack for saying it. Ah, oh, we're going to struggle, new coach, blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, I, I think this. I'm not saying they're going to be great. But I think this unit definitely has a chance to be really good. I, I like those guys that are competing for those starting five. Like you said, Tim, I mean, I think they're experienced. Um, I think Connor Galvin's going to be the best offensive lineman we've had since the Bryles era, um, if he's not already. I'm really confident in that. Here's where I'm not so confident, as, as confident as I am in the offensive line. You guys know I ride or die for Charlie Brewer. I love 
that guy. I love watching him play football. I think you cannot coach him out of being who he is. And so it's not that I'm even worried about the offensive line or I'm not worried about him dropping back and having to hold the ball for eight seconds because I think we're going to shore those things up. But he is not going to stop when there's third and eight and he's on a rollout and that linebacker is starting to sink back and that thought goes through his head, oh, I've got it. I can get there. He is not going to learn how to slide He is not going to run out of bounds. That's not who he is. And I love that about him. That's why I liked Nick Florence. It's why I liked Seth Russell. But we saw what happened to Seth Russell. Okay? I'm really worried about his health. I really am. And I know maybe you were talking at me, Tim, when you talk about the concussions thing. Because I just... That dude, half the time, would just wobble off the field. And I'm... I mean, you got to think at some point... And maybe Terrence can speak to this as a guy who's played in... And uh, and all that, but you have to wonder at what point if he gets another concussion or two in the first five or six games this season, does somebody grab him and say, "Bro, like you've had a great career, sit down." That's a possibility. I think even Charlie Brewer would admit that, and I think the question of changing him as a player isn't what. Larry Fedora wants to do because you're absolutely right. Some of those things, keeping the play alive, putting your head down, making something happen, not going out of bounds, those are reasons that he's successful. What I think can happen is some of those issues schemed out, quicker passes, more hot routes, less five and seven step drops, less long developing play action plays, more protection, keeping the tight ends in the block more, less deep shots down the field, less quarterback powers every time we get inside the five yard line. Let's diversify this up a little bit. Maybe run a jet sweep with somebody else that doesn't have a concussion problem. So I I think there's ways to scheme and play calls differently that protect him. I think there's also ways to adjust what he's doing. Maybe don't take on a guy on second and four um, in a game we're up by three touchdowns. Maybe pull the reins back ever so slightly in key areas because Charlie Brewer, to Andrew's point earlier, is going to be the key to Baylor's success. They have a fourth-year starting quarterback. They have a guy that has a chance to set all-time passing records at Baylor. They have to keep him healthy. He has to finish this season with good arm strength. He can't finish it like he did last year where he wasn't what – I mean, he peaked at Oklahoma State, and then every week we saw a dissipation in terms of results. We saw his arm strength lacking. We saw his mobility lacking. We saw that. Even if the the injury report said he was fine, all of our eyes, every Baylor fan's eyes said – Something was off. Something was wrong. Something needs to change. The hope is you can scheme some of that out and then just ever so slightly adjust rather than try to change who Charlie Brewer has as a quarterback. You know, I'll I'll never forget it, and you guys heard it if, if you listened back to it, and I'm sure you did, um, talking about you, you can see it even if they won't acknowledge it. I'll never forget last year when I talked to Seth Russell, and he, he said, oh, yeah, I had a hole in my pectoral muscle. And I'm like... Dude, we all saw it. Like we all saw that second that second year he was the starter, it wasn't the same zip on the ball. And I'm going, 
this guy, I know this guy can sling the sling the rock, right? Like, and he told me in that interview, oh yeah, I found out later that there was literally a hole in my throwing side pectoral muscle, and and of course that just makes me like him more. But you're absolutely right. I think I think he had all sorts of issues we don't know about last year. Andrew, you were going to say something, I think. Yeah, just real quick on Tim's point it's, it, and, and your point. It's not about changing Charlie Brewer or anything like that. It's making Charlie Brewer more efficient so the offense can be that much more explosive and powerful, which is something that we didn't have the past couple of years, um, which is why we've had to rely on his feet or just these gutty, gritty plays, right, in, in running and scrambling, especially late in game. It's about making him more efficient, whether that be protect, protection long ball accuracy or having our, our running backs, you know, doing something better, more consistently in the run game. Uh, so I just want to add that. Hey, and I want to say this too. And again, Terrence, feel free to jump in on this. Cause this is your area. I am maybe most excited about the running back group with Lovett and Ebner leading the way. Quaylen Jones, squirrel can squirrel, please get healthy and make some plays for us. That would make my, make my life. Um, that running back group is is not only talented but deep, man. I mean, four easily four deep um, at the running back spot, and I'm really excited to see how Aranda. I know with the the success of Hilaire, uh, what was his name, Hilaire Edwards last year for LSU. Um, Clyde Hilaire Edwards went to the Chiefs. You know, he's he's about to have 15 touchdowns next year from Pat Mahomes, but the way they used him both in the running game and the passing game, I think works really well for Ebner and, and I'm excited to see what he and Lovett can do this year. Well, and Ebner's another guy that you really want to make sure he's healthy at the end of the season. He's another guy that has struggled with injuries every year of his Baylor career, knees, ankles, shoulders, everything, you know, keeping him healthy, making sure you can maximize him because looking at what Larry Fedora has done with his running backs it's very easy to see a 40-plus reception season for Tristan Ebner, even in a 10-game schedule. Uh, that's his upside, is 40 to 50 receptions in this offense. Getting that type of production, a, a player that can get you 8 to 10 yards of reception, a player that can average 5-plus yards per carry with more of a bulldozer-type running back that can get you 15 to 18 carries and John Lovett plus Quaylen Jones, plus the four-star freshman uh, Tay McWilliams, plus Jonah White, who redshirted last year, who I am personally a massive fan of. I think he has a great upside. Plus Squirrel Williams, who we might actually be able to see in his, I think it's his fifth freshman year will be this year. I, it's hard to keep track, but he's healthy. So so getting players lined up and healthy, getting Tristan Ebner not only scoring a touchdown every other time he touches the ball against uh, a directional state university, against non-conference opponents, but keeping him healthy throughout the Big 12 season, getting John Lovett to consistently protect the ball, finish runs like we saw him do when he dominated Texas. Dominated Texas. I can still see that stiff arm into the ground on that beautiful touchdown run to open up the second half. Making sure that the running backs, and, and I think... The running backs are going to be the focus of the offense. The linebackers are going to be the focus of the defense. Last year we saw the wide receivers be the focus of the offense, and obviously the defensive line be the focus of the defense. So I I think we're going to see a little bit of a paradigm shift when it comes to what's going to be the focal point of either side of the ball. You know, you have William Bradley King. You have Ashton Logan, who I keep hearing his name first and foremost from all of my sources about linebackers that are popping. Ashton Logan, a guy that I think everybody would agree with, has all the tools. He just hasn't been able to put it all together yet. If he puts it all together... 
whoo, he's a guy that could make some plays. You have the running back. That's going to be the focus of the offense. That's what Larry Fedora wants. So it's going to look a little bit different. Their success isn't going to be the same this year as it was last year. They're going to have to go about it a different way. To Andrew's point, it is going to have to lean a little bit more offense. We're going to have to minimize the negative plays from sacks of Charlie Brewer holding the ball too long, from 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 uh, uh, offensive penalties. I, I, I haven't run the numbers because I'm not nearly smart enough yet, but I would guess just from a gut feeling that 98% of all drives that we had a sack or an offensive penalty ended in a punt or a turnover. We never finished those drives. If we can eliminate those negative plays, I think we're going to score a lot more points this year, and that's what I'm most excited to see. Man, this is fun. I'm having a good time. Uh, but I told you guys I'd wrap it up in 45 minutes, and we're, we're hitting that mark, and I still want to talk about what, what we think this season's going to look like. You know, we've talked a lot about personnel. We've talked about coaches. Um, we feel really good about a lot of areas of the team, a couple question marks. As we look at the schedule, and I've told you guys this since I started this podcast – uh, there are two places in the Big 12 that still give me nightmares because it does not matter how good or bad these two teams are, you will lose at their place, and that's Morgantown and Ames. We get to visit both this season in addition to Norman, in addition to Austin. The schedule, guys, is is kind of brutal when you look at where we're going and who we're facing on the road. And uh, I, I do like that we're opening with La Tech and Kansas to kind of get our feet under us, but then pretty quickly you get into a blitz here. I mean, even TCU at homecoming, TCU's down, and that still doesn't feel like a sure thing. Uh, if you look at the schedule, if you think about, let's pretend we get through all 10 games, pray we do so. How are you feeling about this team's potential record? Maybe uh, tell me a floor and a ceiling, or tell me what, what if you have a, a record prediction, you can spit it out. I don't think I'm qu- quite ready yet. I'll probably wait till the week before La Tech um, to see where we're at. Uh, but how do you feel about the Bears as a team and, and where they can go this season? Hey, I'm going I'm to jump in. Uh, man, I, it's, it's just been crazy at my house. It's, you know, 9.30 and everyone's up, so I got a lot of kids crying. And so I've just been on mute and off camera because it's chaotic. Um, talk about Charlie Brewer, I, and I know we we're past that segment. His head injuries, can you hear my son crying in the background? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Charlie, his, his head injuries, I'm not a doctor. I've played football. I've seen what it looks like. Even if you don't get diagnosed uh, with a concussion, I, I know what it looks like when, when, when you're walking off and you're not yourself. I, you can look into people's eyes um, and see, and you can tell, like, the body language. A, a lot of that is affected. Um, for, for him to keep battling back, obviously he has a ton of grit. Uh, but it's that's definitely something that we have to worry about uh, uh, the next um, this this coming season. Running backs are talented as they come. Man, I'm excited to see Squirrel, Squirrel get finally get healthy, uh, get back on as well. Um, I, I think that with Ebner and, and Lovett uh, really being veterans now, Jermichael Hasty added a, a ton of veteran leadership. He fought hard for extra yards. I think we'll get that that same tonight. City out of and and um, so I look forward to seeing what they do. I really think it's going to help uh, the offensive line out uh, as well as uh, the receiving core out. Is is as well we as well as we run the ball. That means we're not going to be seeing as many pressures if we run the ball well. 
that will give offensive linemen time to give protection to Charlie Brewer in the pass game. Uh, overall, I, yeah, I think our, our season is favorable. Uh, I, Kevin said earlier that the Big 12 didn't build in any buys, but our schedule, it, it has a few buys in it, correct? So I, I don't know uh, if I, – I mean, maybe the buys are not, like, meant to be buys. It's just, like, spaced out. Um, but I, I think starting with La Tech and Kansas is a, are, is a great thing. Uh, but the rubber meets the road really, really fast in the Big 12. And you got to go to the gauntlet of everyone in the league. You don't get a bye with Pan, you know, east or west or north or south. You you have to play everyone in the league, and we will get everyone's best shot. So uh, looking forward to it. Kansas is doing some special things up there, so it's not going to be a walk in the park. That's exactly what I was going to jump in and say before somebody else speaks up is, is of course, um, Kansas is still on the bottom of the barrel. But when you have Les Miles and when you have Puka Williams and when we have the questions about our, our defensive line like Terrence has brought up, uh, it's not a sure thing. And, and Baylor's going to have to be there, bring their best game. And, and this was pointed out, um, uh, Jerry Hill pointed this out in, in, in the write-up he wrote for the scrimmage. Uh, Baylor's going to have the target on Baylor's back now. It's no more secret, right? Going from one win to six to 11 – was a surprise this year. Nobody's going to be surprised if Baylor comes out and plays well. So, anyway, somebody else tell me uh, how you're looking at this schedule in this season. I, I think you uh, you missed the elephant in the room of the road games. Is we have to go to Lubbock for the first time in a decade or something. Whatever. The Red Raiders want to get a piece of the Bears. They feel morally robbed. And destroyed after the snap infraction penalty. I'm doing air quotes for those that can't see this. Um, they, they feel that they had a win stolen from them. And, um, they may be right. They may be wrong. Whatever. It's football. Um, going out there and, and visiting Matt Wells in his second season is, is going to be difficult. Iowa State, you know, they love us. Uh, the tent thing and all of that. I think now they're saying, uh, because it's going to be in winter, they're not going to allow Baylor to bring any coats uh, or anything. Very petty, the Cyclones, if you don't remember. Um, <laughs> it, there's a lot of people that are upset about the success that Baylor had in a very short period of time under Matt Rules. To your point, Scotty, 1-7 to seven to 11. Um, Texas Tech hasn't seen that in a decade. Iowa State hasn't seen that in a century Almost Kansas, uh, I, they had a fat guy on the sidelines the last time that happened. So there's a lot of programs that are upset about how Baylor has been able to bounce back from a, a supposedly program ending tragedy and scandal. A lot of people are not happy about that. So when you talk about that bullseye, 11 and three, going to the Big 12 championship game, going to the Sugar Bowl, um, Beating a lot of teams late like TCU, like Iowa State, like Texas Tech, that's going to leave a lot of bad tastes in your mouth. So I think Baylor's going to get a lot of best shots. And um, Coach Rand is really the only first-year head coach in the Big 12, if my memory is working correctly. So that is a, a, a drawback. You know, you're getting Kleinman at Kansas State in his second year, getting Matt Wells, you're getting Neil Brown both in their second year. They're going to have a little bit more confidence in their system. So I, I think getting La Tech, who is by no means 
a, a pushover. This is not a University of Incarnate Word. This is the team that won 10 games last year. Skip Holtz has been there eight or nine years right now, has been a 10-plus win coach several times at Louisiana Tech. That's a solid football program for a group of five team. Um, they're going to test the Bears. This isn't like opening with a cupcake like Liberty, which I won't talk about that under Matt Rule. I'm still upset about that. I don't want to bring it up. This is a good football team that Baylor's going to be seeing on September 12th. Is it a, a good football team for a Big 12 team? No, but it's a solid, well-coached team. They know what they have. They're returning a lot of guys. They're middle of the pack. I think uh, Bill Connolly had him 55th. Uh, in returning production over over last year, they're returning. In, uh, they, they have to find a new quarterback, but they have a lot of dudes around him, and they're going to have a test there. Kansas, they're still Kansas. I'm sorry, Les Miles is a great coach when he has a ton of talent. He doesn't have a ton of talent in LSU. Um, they're going to be by far the worst team that Baylor sees next year. Um, that's a game that you have to win. Even when Matt Rule won one game, he beat Kansas. You beat Kansas. The rest of the schedule, there's going to be a lot of toss-ups. What is Oklahoma State going to look like now that they've lost three of their five returning offensive linemen? They've got a lot of top-end talent. What is West Virginia going to look like? Are they going to be bad? Are they going to find a quarterback? Is Texas Tech, is that, is, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, their quarterback that's always hurt? I cannot remember his name all of a sudden. Alan Bowman. Um, is he going to be healthy or can he stay healthy for two quarters in a row? That's the question with him, you know. There's a lot of toss-up games. This is a team that I could see going four and six. This is the team that I could see going seven and three or eight and two, probably upside. Um, there's a lot of toss-ups in the middle. I'm not willing to put a prediction out there yet, but this is a team with a high variance because a lot of us just don't know what we're going to see from Coach Aranda. Yeah, I'll jump in. <clears throat> Tim calling the Cyclones petty and then proceeds to be petty against every other team on our schedule and in the Big 12. I, I love it. Uh, but, it, you know, just I'm looking at the schedule here on my phone because I had to remind myself of the order uh, of the revised schedule here and seeing it and talking to you guys just getting me excited all that much more for football. So, you know, again, I really think we can hope, hopefully we can uh, play a season here. But, uh, let, let's just look at some of the, the games. We won't beat the five road games in the toughest five places, probably in the Big 12 uh, to, to death. It won't be that to death. But a lot of road games, weird COVID season, conditioning, uh, you know, new coach, all these variables, toss-ups in the air. Uh, we don't really know what we have. So, I mean, I'll take a stab at it. Uh, I think you have to. You'd have to beat La Tech, you have to beat Kansas, probably have to beat West Virginia on the road, and probably have to beat Kansas State. So I see the, the low end of four, four wins. You have to get the four wins, I would think. And uh, unless the, you know, Brewer gets injured, the wheels totally fall off, there's a pause midseason, half the team gets COVID, something like that. Uh, it could be a lot worse, obviously, but... You know, let's just say four and six uh, on the low end, high end. Um, I mean, I can see us at seven and three, maybe on the on the high end. A lot of returning quarterbacks in the in, in an offensive league. I've already said I think Brewers going to have to carry the Baylor offense if if we're thinking every defense is kind of going to be depleted, including our own. You know, a lot of other returning quarterbacks coming back, including uh, Sanders at Oklahoma State, Ellinger. Uh, at Texas, obviously, uh, he, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder, sure. Um, and Purdy at ISU, right? 
uh, you know, he was top five in the nation in, in yards, uh, just, you know, another talent, right, that you have to deal with. And, um, you know, over there in Norman, they're, they're always turning out quarterbacks, right? So it's going to be tough. I, I think four to, four to seven uh, wins is kind of where we are. In, and, and it's going to come on Brewer. I want to just fact check myself real quick. I said eight, eight comeback wins last year for Brewer. It was five last year, but eight in his career. So, but usually when you have that many close games, a double overtime, a triple overtime, and an overtime game, you know, the, you know, it's a referee judgment call to make that penalty and the ball's dead right there. So I don't know what we're rehashing about this Texas Tech, the legal snap uh, from the center thing that's clearly in the rules. Um, we covered that last year, but uh, when you have, usually when you have that many close games and you survive that many close games uh, in one year in college football, usually you, you, you don't get, you know, the, the, uh, the, the lucky bounces in the following year and vice versa, right? So if we teams that lose those close games, usually they uh, rebound and, and use that experience to their advantage in the next year. So I just think, I think we're poised, poised for a small setback. Uh, if, if anything, it's going to be, it's going to be Brewer that's, that's worth that, you know, that extra game or two in the end. That was something that Shahan and I uh, talked about on my own podcast, but, uh, you know, I, I think four, four and six or seven and three uh, tops, but it's going to be an interesting season. So, uh, yeah, just just excited, guys. Just just really, really excited. And and the point is, we just have to find a way. If I may, is there a better year to play a road heavy, going to all these terrible, mean, nasty places like the frozen tundra of Iowa State and the uh, the couch burning of West Virginia and the I won't define Texas Tech here, but Texas Tech. Um, is there a better season when you're only going to see 20 to 25% at most fan capacity? To me, that levels the playing field of what we would expect to see from a road venue. I think the only team that really has an advantage of playing in front of no fans is TCU. Everyone else is really going to be on an even playing field. Uh, and, and yeah, sure. The uh, the counterpoint I would give is: is there a worse time to be going on the road to so many different venues across the nation? Um, you know, with travel restrictions in place, probably different things that uh, the university and football team have to do in preparation for those uh, away games, where it could just be mentally draining. Uh, um, you know, on on it, which is just another disadvantage to have, right? Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Morgantown still scares me. I don't know why. And as I was talking and saying, you know, I'm scared to go to all these places, I, that thought crossed my mind as well. It's COVID, less fans. Morgantown still scares me. And all I want in Ames is another fight, okay? Greg Roberts started a tradition two seasons ago. I want somebody else. I want chippy, cold-weather boxing somewhere in the center of the field. I think we're going we're gonna to see all of that, that mental toughness that Rule talked about in his three years as coach. And obviously you saw it last year with the comeback wins, but you still have a lot of kids that were under rule and just, you know, had that mental toughness. Um, I think you're going to see that show its face this season. Or we're going to need it to, because every week is going to be new, you know, just with 
you know, all the precautions and guidelines that are going to be in place. Like, uh, like you guys mentioned, you know, it just being mentally draining on everybody, but, um, yeah, I think that's where, you know, if this team really does have a lot of kids that are mentally tough, just from what they've dealt with the past three or four seasons, then that's really going to be an advantage for Baylor this season um, to help get through. But like everybody else, I'm not really ready to make a prediction on what, what's going to happen just because we just, we have no idea what we have. Um, I know they had a scrimmage this weekend. Um, I haven't really followed up on what that went like, but um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, like Andrew said, I think their floor is four games. The high, the ceiling is seven or eight. Um, and if, you know, if things, uh, if things fall right, then we could, I, I kind of see the, I kind of see the less fans as an advantage uh, at those places um, because even at Baylor, I mean, you have 25% capacity, but you know, a lot of that's going to be uh, parents. A lot of it's going to be people in the suites. So you're going to have even less people in the stands than what you normal than what that 25% number is. So I think it's, a, it's a great year to go to, to tech, to Morgantown, to Ames. And I think they're going to be able to hopefully at least split some of those games um, and not lose all of them. But I think, um, I think we'll have a decent year this year. I, I mean, we have the pieces, so I, I think we can. Um, it just depends on, you know, how quickly they're able to get things implemented and, and get things um, going before they get into the hard part of the schedule. And real, real quick, um, just looking at the schedule here, there's some talks about buys and off weeks and things like that. It would go La Tech, host Kansas, to Morgantown on the 3rd. Then the 10th, there would be an open week before they hope Baylor hosts Oklahoma State on the 17th. And then week after week um, until they end the season with Oklahoma uh, at Mormon. And then it would be December 12th is supposed to be the Big 12 championship game. And I know the Big 12 has allocated, you know, um, an extra week. So they want the Big 12 championship to be played on December 12th. It could be played on December 19th, I think it is. Well, hey, I'll say this, and Terrence, feel free to uh, jump in here in a second if, if you're ready. Um, looking over that schedule and thinking as you guys are talking, I think you got to go four for five at home at minimum. And I think the game the game that I'm iffy about at home is Oklahoma State. I, th- I think uh, they're off- that's a good point about their offensive line earlier, Tim, but I just – I've always been kind of a sucker for Gundy. I know a lot of people hate him. I I think he's kind of awesome. He's he's definitely done some stupid stuff that I would not have done, but the dude knows football, and the dude has been such a stable presence there. And I have not followed up on this story, by the way. Uh, One of you guys can tell me, is Chuba Hubbard back playing yet, or is he still boycotting the season? No, he he is. They had a two-hour conversation. It's all water under the bridge. Cool. Uh, yeah, they, they hashed it out there. Um, they have an ESPN Plus series on on Oklahoma State. They have a um, so if you have ESPN Plus, it's it's been kind of interesting to watch about twenty minute episodes. I do have ESPN Plus. I'll have to go check that out. But Chuba Hubbard, I mean, probably the best player in the conference. I don't think that's controversial at all. Uh, Tylen Wallace, if healthy, probably the best or the certainly the most proven wide receiver in the conference. Uh, Spencer Sanders is talented as heck, and this is the year you'd think he could put it all together. But if you can win the other four at home, and if you can steal two on the road, 
I think you've had a really good year one under Aranda, and I don't think that's out of the out of reach. And I'll make an official prediction later. Well, any final words, guys? Any quick closing remarks? I'll just let you have the floor. Try to keep it brief. Let's get out of here. My wife's at home waiting for me, so I'm gonna go home and go to bed pretty quick. Any last last remarks? I'm just I'm just saying I'm excited for football, and I hope we can we can get through the season. But I'm at least excited to see one game. Just one game, you know. So I'll, I'll I'll say I hope we have a football season because that allows all the other sports to dominate uh, a lot of other excellent uh, athletic teams. So uh, ho- hopefully they can continue their seasons as well and stay safe, be a mask, wear a mask. I, anything but sick and bears. Anything else is is ridiculous, and I'd probably be willing to sacrifice half a football season for all of basketball season. But that's beside the point. Just sick and bears. Heck yeah. Well, hey guys, thanks for being on here. This has been a lot of fun. It's good to see you all. Good to talk football. Man, and I'll be inviting all of you at some point back for at some point this season to keep talking. And uh, I will talk to you all later. Thanks so much. And I do say a genuine thank you to all those guys for hopping on the podcast and giving us a great season preview. A lot of good perspectives there to consider. And it was a lot of fun getting those guys on Zoom and just having a conversation and just talking football, man. Just getting away from the world for a second, talking football. Hey, let me tell you about this podcast. I I started this podcast in 2017, and it was 100% for fun, man. And I've told some of y'all that before. And it was just a way for me to practice, you know, talking about sports, man. Before I felt called to be a pastor, I wanted to be a sportscaster. And this podcast was a way for me to kind of explore that love and passion and talk about Baylor football, which I already talk about more than just about any other subject in the world when I'm with friends. And this podcast has been so good to me in that way. And that first season was such a ride And I remember I'd get thrilled when we'd have 70 people listen to one episode and it just felt like a huge deal. Talked to some guys like Silas Nasita and Ryan Reed and just felt really cool about what we were doing and building. And Bears Illustrated brought us in about halfway through that season and talked basically, I mean, this podcast started with the Matt Rule era. So have really the last three years just had so many interesting conversations, have gotten to meet and interview great people like Seth Russell last season Blake Blackmar, so many others that have just been willing to come on and tell their stories, tell their stories about Baylor. I've got uh, other people perhaps lined up for this year, new people, people from other eras, um, quarterbacks from the 90s and, and others. And I am so pumped to keep doing this, but I've got to tell you the truth. And in light of Dak Prescott being a little bit vulnerable with the media this week and some other things, I got to tell you, um, I almost quit doing this podcast coming into this season. 2020 and COVID and the social situation we're in has really taken its toll on me as it's taken its toll on a lot of people. And being a pastor during this time has been one of the more difficult things and one of the more challenging and frustrating things I've done. And, you know, we're at this at the top of the pandemic, uh, ended up working about 80 hours a week, you know, just to keep this church that I'm working at afloat and make sure that we were meeting needs of people in our community. And it it was exhausting there for a few months. 
On top of that, I've kind of been incorporated into the sports radio community here in El Campo, Texas. Uh, Having an opportunity to cover high school sports, not only for the radio station here, but for the newspaper here. And those opportunities have been really wonderful and a good way to connect with my community here. I got married over the summer in the midst of this pandemic and the stress that comes along with planning a wedding was just compounded on my wife and I and um, all of this happening during this chaotic year has been crazy, y'all. And this podcast was, as I thought it and prayed and was trying to find some ways to simplify my life and have more time to spend with my wife now that she's here and that we're married and make sure I'm fully devoted to this church and this community and and my job here as a high school football broadcaster here in El Campo. Uh, This podcast was really close um, to saying adios. And, uh, you know, I'm just not ready to, to do that. And uh, man, so I just want you to know that uh, if you are struggling in life, if you feel too busy, if you're overwhelmed, I get it. Um, I want to apologize that this has taken so long to get these episodes off the ground. I've got an interview with Vince Ginta that I need to publish from like March. I've got a story about Tiger King that I intended to publish on this podcast because I met the guy that I need to publish. There's things that I want to get off the ground here that I haven't. And I do apologize for that, but I hope you'll hang with me. I hope that if you are sad and having a hard time that you know you're not alone. And man, I just hope that this podcast can be a way to encourage you during this time. And if you would like to come on the podcast and talk Baylor football, if you have uh, someone that you know that played Baylor football, coached Baylor football, loves Baylor football, talks about Baylor football, that you think would be a good guest, let's get him on this podcast, man, and let it, let's build up this community and talk Baylor football this season, and I'm excited to do it. That leads me into this, and you know, this was kind of a last-minute addition to this episode, but I found out this week that our friend passed away. And, you know, social media can be so poisonous and can be such a weapon or can be such an addiction that brings us down. And uh, many of you followed my personal Twitter account that I stopped using this past year because it was an addiction that mostly brought me down. Uh, I use Twitter now for what I would call professional reasons. I have a I have a Twitter account for this podcast. And I hope you follow us. At Please bear with me on Twitter. And I have a Twitter account for my new podcast that covers uh, Texas high school football. And I made that move to only have professional Twitter accounts or to only use Twitter mostly for professional reasons because social media can be so toxic and people just rag each other and run each other through the mud and it it really is hard on your mental health. And uh, there's somebody that we all got to know. If you're on Twitter, there's, there's kind of a funny Baylor community on Twitter, right? And It's all these people that just love Baylor football, talk Baylor football. I have never met Matt Isbear or Amy Padgett or Fank or any of those Baylor football Twitter people in person in my life. And yet I feel like they're my buddies that I get to chat it up with when it comes to Baylor athletics. And uh, they, I hope they listen and they know that, you know, um, I have never met Peter Pope in person. 
He's come on this podcast twice, but we've mostly engaged via Twitter. I have met and had in-person discussions a few times with Craig Smoke, but I've uh, we mostly engage over Twitter. I think he mostly knows who I am over Twitter. Same with Colt Barber. I don't know that we've ever met in person. We've had some really good conversations on Twitter. We chatted quite a bit during Baylor's coaching search and exchanged some ideas and information. And I have a ton of respect for Colt Barber and what they do at Sikkim 365. All that to say, there's this whole like Baylor Twitter family. And we lost perhaps the brightest star in that Twitter family. I didn't even know her real name until this week. But Karen, and if you are part of this Baylor Twitter community, you know her as at FX underscore butterfly. (laughs) Was a special somebody who used social media and her love of Baylor sports to bring hope and encouragement and joy to others. Karen and I never met. I don't think we had much of a real conversation at any point. But via that Twitter account, at FX underscore Butterfly, (laughs) Karen constantly propped up this podcast, encouraged me as a person and as a host of this podcast, spread nothing but love for Baylor and its athletes and coaches and fans, was not one of the critics or the pessimists or the haters, right? Um, but was always very kind and warm and I think positively impacted everybody that she interacted with. And uh, so it's kind of a weird feeling when you see after a long day, you get on Twitter and you see that this person that um, you only knew via a computer screen or a cell phone that constantly encouraged you and cheered you on in a project like this is gone and uh you know if if her family is listening to this i wish them the best and i hope they know that that i'm grieving with them and uh, praying for them Um, but i think the best thing we can do to honor karen's legacy is to be kind to one another And that's kind of what I want to leave us with today. If you're a Baylor football fan, Baylor fan, sports fan, if you're on social media in any capacity, as you interact with people, your words and your attitude do carry power and influence. And it's important that we use them to build one another up. If you're a Christian I've said for a long time that on this podcast we stick to Baylor football, but listen, if, if you're a Christian, that's a, that is a commandment. <laughs> that is what Christ asked of us, is to build one another up and encourage one another, not to tear one another down and judge and be mean. If you're not a Christian, that's just a good philosophy in life. It's just a way to make the world a better place, to make your life more enjoyable, and to make others' lives better. Just love one another cheer one another on and in this age of toxicity and divisiveness and meanness there's definitely some right and wrong there's definitely causes that are worth fighting for there's definitely opinions that are worth sharing but I think more important than any of that is that we love one another and treat one another well especially if we all have something in common like being 
fans of the Baylor Bears. Um, man, I just want to encourage us, um, if you're listening to this, treat one another well, man. With This week was suicide prevention and suicide awareness. Uh, Dak Prescott obviously saying what he said. Um, I've told you a little bit of, of just some of the struggles I've had this past year and, and almost wanting to end this podcast, man. And uh, just be kind to one another. I think that's the way we can honor Karen's legacy and memory. I think that's what she would want us to do uh, is unite over the football, unite over our common values. If we're Christians, let's unite over that. If we're just fellow humanity with hearts and souls and minds, let's unite over that. Tired of the, the mean and the violence and the uh, name calling, dude. And uh, if you ever need anything, I hope you know you can reach out. And uh, Karen, I hope you know uh, you're in a better place and we miss you. And I will miss you. Thanks for helping. Please bear with me. Get off the ground and get to where it is today. Hey, so next week I am taking a little trip. My honeymoon got canceled slash postponed just like this La Tech game. And so I'm actually taking a week off next week and I will be in the mountains. And uh, I'm not going to deal with this podcast at all. The good news is there will be an episode of Please Bear With Me next week. I think it's going to be outstanding, truthfully. My friend Michael Bartlemé, who's been a regular part of this show since we started, is going to host, and he has a guest on, and I'm not going to spoil the guest. I know who the guest is. The guest is uh, one of the top two or three Baylor fans in the world. He really is. Uh, he's a genius. He knows football, and you are going to love hearing from him. And so make sure to listen in next week. I'll be back with you in two weeks. And we will get ready for Baylor versus Kansas. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Please Bear With Me. Can't wait to see what happens this season. And no matter what it is, good or bad, up or down, no matter how many games we get in, we'll be with you every step of the way. This has been Please Bear With Me. My name's Scotty Swingler. Thanks for joining us for a fourth season. And we'll talk to you soon. Sick'em Bears. Have a great weekend.